Before we begin today's episode, we would like to thank our sponsors. Without them, this podcast would not be possible at all. Swanshaw. They are the finest purveyors of kitchen units and shop fronts alike in the UK. So, if you need a brand new kitchen or a new shop front, consider visiting Swanshaw. You can find them on Instagram under the handle of at Swanshaw. Spill Digital. Are you currently in marketing mayhem? Need to give your marketing matrix a makeover? Is it all a bit of a mess? Look no further than the fabulous Chloe, founder and entrepreneur of Spill Digital. She'll make your mundane marketing magic again. You can find her on Instagram under at Spill Digital, or you can check out her website, spilldigital.co.uk. Now to today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the Therapy Files. I actually managed to press the record button in the right place. Go you, Craig. Amazing. Back with a bang. Um, And of course, as you have no doubt heard, I am with my dearest colleague, Callum Jones. Howdy. Who has recently become accredited. I certainly have and I'm absolutely delighted for it. And uh, as many of my colleagues have said who are accredited, you are officially one of the dark siders, Callum. <laughs> I'm, officially, I'm officially among the ranks. Well, either way, <laughs> congratulations. Thank you so much. It's an absolute honour and it's nice to be part of such a wonderful charity that he is. Because um, I'm not allowed to say it's a governing body. I got, I got in trouble on LinkedIn for saying it's a governing body. I noticed. Yes, I know. Honestly, I thought you handled that quite well. Thank you. Sensitive one. So, in a change to scheduled programming, you will notice that this is not the stalking episode. No. We have changed our minds and decided to go with a more risque topic, which could cause trouble. I, I don't think. I don't think it'll cause trouble. I think it might be slightly controversial, but it's a good. It's a something that needs to be discussed. And, controversial. Uh, and it kind of it kind of fills in well with our last episode, doesn't it? You know about training to be a therapist. I think. I think it it's kind of very small mini series we're doing on counselling. I think it's nice for us to touch base on it because even though we have done some episodes alluding to counselling, it's not something we've really gone into too much, is it? No, but it's something that now that I personally am in training, I'm I'm all for, mm-hmm. and I feel I'm able to comment on certain things Mm -hmm. in a good way yeah and the topic this evening is mental health and therapists experience of mental health Mm -hmm. and i think it's important to talk about this because we've both experienced mental health difficulties yeah of course craig i think i think just to use my training course for example many people on my course had mental health problems Mm. i've met many counselors colleagues, esteemed colleagues who've got mental health problems and I know this isn't really a I would never say it was an enforced thing but it certainly feels like a taboo subject for therapists to speak about. Hmm. It feels like certainly from my own experiences once you become a therapist you must be relatively cured of your mental illness and be fully self-actualised you hmm. know, which obviously as we know is complete tough. You know? <laughs> I don't think anybody can be no. in, in that sense. In Yes they can be in a good place mm-hmm. but there is nothing to say that they won't ever struggle again. No. And But I've noticed in in general in the therapy community there is this expectation that you be better than your clients mm-hmm. yeah and I, on one level i can understand that yes of course because yeah. we have to be able to function in the way that we can see clients and uphold ourselves yeah at that point 
But at the same time, I also think, no, so what? You know, the fact that we have mental health issues can make us better therapists yeah. in that way. And I'm not advocating for all therapists to go out there and try and get themselves a mental illness because it's not something that can... Or even to divulge it. You yes. Know, that is your story and that is your process. And this, yeah. is, this isn't about telling all, all therapists to now start shouting to the rooftops about having mental illness. It's more about having a conversation surrounding it and uh, I guess bringing it into the open because it still feels like, you know, in 2022, it's something therapists shy away from. I know there is some writing on it and obviously we'll share a couple of links in there to writing at the end of the episode this is more more of an informal chat we're having but you know we will share some academic articles about that but I think it's something that needs discussing. You know, obviously me and you, Craig, we are two young male therapists, which, you know, set us set us aside a little bit in our profession. We're also quite young. You know, you've just turned 30, I'm 29. Um, Thank you for saying that. It's yeah. made me feel happy. And that's what I'm here for, you know. I'm always just here to massage your ego. Just the fact that you said I was a young man. Absolutely young man. Someone's <laughs> <laughs> got slightly patronising that, doesn't it? Young man. You're young whippersnapper. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm just here to massage Craig's ego, guys. You know, Johnson just gets a kick out of it. But yeah, I think I think we absolutely need to have a have a conversation about it. Um, I think I guess I guess my thing for you, Craig, is I, I was going to ask you off the bat for you as a, obviously I know you know trainee doing really well. You know, thing. What is, have you experienced anything like this so far? I mean, obviously, no, we're not really speaking about the institution you're at. Cause I don't want to get in trouble that way. But I mean, have you experienced anything on the culture around therapists with mental health? Or even trainee therapists with mental health problems yourself, yourself or your colleagues, or I, anything you've heard on. What I will say is that, and it, it surprises me, mm-hmm. because initially the tutor said, are you well enough? Mm. Are you well enough to do this course? Mm-hmm. And yet, when we were talking about suicide risk and self-harm, they said, it's important to note that as therapists, we're not immune to being or having mental health. No. And that gave me a spark of joy. Of course. Because that same tutor had previously said, but are you well enough? Mm-hmm. But it goes to show that they also have taken that on board and realised that, you know, even trainee therapists, they will struggle. Yeah. I'm sure there are many in my class or in my cohort that have also struggled with mental health. Mm-hmm. But I have found the institution challenging okay. in relation to that. Okay. Um, in what way, if you don't mind me asking? I was completely open and honest in my application and I have found that they quite rightly are having to question it mm-hmm. in some way because I have disclosed a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. I've supplied evidence mm-hmm. uh, from the doctor but it has to go through a procedure where I now send them another letter mm-hmm. that details how I cope with life and how I deal with mm-hmm. my mental health issues and also just while I'm at it they're asking how I cope with my physical disability also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I wasn't too happy about that okay. because in a way you can be as transparent and as open as possible but it's also by following the framework mm-hmm. you have to be honest and transparent but also being honest and transparent is causing Havoc in a way because it mm-hmm. makes me have to jump through more hoops. Does it feel again, Craig? And I'm, you know, spinning the arm here, but does it feel like again going back to that whole thing as somebody who is disabled? And I said, as somebody who's also disabled, obviously just in a different way to you, that kind of having to justify your existence again or justify something that you want or. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it feels like another hoop mm-hmm. that I have to jump through. Which is of no fault of your own. No. But I know that I will do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I will make those hoops accessible. Yes. Even if 
they make me jump through five or six. Of course. And I will do it, but it feels like unfair. Mm-hmm. And just to harken back to obviously we did we did our mini series on disability, didn't we? Uh, last year, I think we finished, we finished in December last year. And um, you know, I think we spoke very highly that we probably should do an episode on it at some point. There is there is a um, a huge place but also a huge void in counselling for disability. Now, I don't just mean psychological disabilities or neurological disabilities. Physical disabilities in counselling, although have made improvements, are still not, there's not many, is there? Mm. And I think it's something that needs to be much more recognised. And particularly in terms of, if we're talking about physical disability for a moment, if we're talking about physical counselling spaces, Mm -hmm. just putting it out there, Mm -hmm. it's not always, they're not always accessible places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which in turn... You know, just ironically, if you're not feeling heard and you're not feeling accepted or if you're feeling you have to justify your existence, ironically, will have a knock-on effect to your mental health, won't it? Yeah. Which was what, exactly what this episode So I imagine, I'm making this up here, but I imagine by having what you've received, I imagine that's made you feel pretty pretty rubbish to some extent. Yeah. And it's made me question, should I even be here? Mm-hmm. In the sense of, should I be in training? Mm-hmm. But actually, I'm going to stick it out mm-hmm. because I believe I should be. Mm-hmm. Because of all those that will come after me. Of course. I don't want to be somebody that said, I'll go for it. Mm-hmm. But he fell at the first hurdle. Mm-hmm. I want to show people that regardless of your situation, you can, if you want to, you can achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Okay, yes. So, in terms of your own experience for mental health, Mm -hmm. have you also felt that it's held you back as a therapist? Uh, No, not at all. Um, If anything, it's probably probably, uh, enhanced my abilities as a therapist because obviously having mental illness also gives you great empathy and great insight into other people's pain. Um, Mm. Obviously, we have to remember that mental health and neurodiversity are very individualistic. So, I think the key thing is not assuming that other people's experience are the same as yours. But I'd say particularly with myself having bipolarity and obviously as people know I'm autistic, <laughs> dual guy, uh, I have a dual relationship between autism and, and bipolarity. I think it's what makes you you and it's it, wonderful. Yeah, it's the only acceptable dual relationship there is. <laughs> um, I think I think it's given me a great way of communicating with my clients and obviously I'm not, I'm not transparent about my illness to my clients and obviously that's something I keep to myself but I think it's given me my own way of working as a therapist which has helped me become accredited and helped me go on to my doctorate. Um, um, you know, mm. would you ever be transparent about your own mental health with your therapist? With, with your therapist, <laughs> I've been very transparent with my own with, therapist. With your with your clients, <laughs> if it benefit the relationship, yes, but it would have to be under very stringent reasons. And I've, I, you know, I've been practicing now since twenty. 2016 as a trainee and then mm. 2018 I qualified yeah. um, or 2019 no 2018 I qualified it, I've never had to do that since um, okay. so unless the situation necessitated it and it was a way to facilitate for therapy and to I guess use congruence and, and to come from a place of empathy yes but I've never felt the reason to mm. self-disclose about that and uh, yeah. you know it's, it's never been it's never been something that's really come up you know okay I'm just thinking on my own experience for that. Actually, that was a question I was asked last week mm-hmm. by some of your colleagues. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. That's they said, is there anything about yourself that you would disclose to your your own clients? Mm-hmm. And one thing that actually genuinely stands out to me, mm-hmm. simply because I can't hide it, mm-hmm. is the fact that I am a physically disabled sure 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 and that's that's the interesting about you know invisible disabilities in comparison to to physical ones isn't it you can I mean that's not strictly true you can have uh, you know chronic pain just for example you can have disabilities that are not physically 
mm. apparent. But like you say, if you're using a wheelchair, or using a Zimmer frame, or using a device that helps assist you in, in walking and living, you know, how do you hide that? You can't because it's part of it's part of you, your you, literally. isn't it? It's part of you. I I couldn't get around without. No, yeah. absolutely. So it's kind of like uh, there there is no option. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And and that it's something I would be not only willing to, but also forced to disclose. Yes. Yeah. You'd have no choice to self-disclose, to yeah. isn't it? Unless, of course, I was doing Zoom therapy. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know. Like, I, as you know, I work for Mentel voluntarily mm-hmm. and hadn't really spoken much about my physical mm-hmm. disability mm-hmm. on there. Not because I didn't want to, but it just didn't come up mm-hmm. for me at the time. And we meet online mm-hmm. and a lot of the people were really surprised wow. when they said when I said actually I'm a wheelchair user wow so it's really interesting that isn't yeah. it so I suppose there's that thing as well is that it's irrelevant do you know what I mean you're not wheelchair well you are you wheelchair user but you're Craig do you know what I mean yeah actually first that's the first point of call you're not wheelchair Craig you're Craig do you know <laughs> what I mean that's who you, that's who you are Absolutely. Of course, yeah. it's, of course, like you say, and we, we spoke about this very openly, it's part of you, it's part of your identity to an extent, but it, I think the problem in contemporary society is that it seems to assume that that's all of you, isn't it? And that's yeah. where the problems lie, is that, uh, you know, we said before, didn't we, Craig, we don't suffer from disabilities, we suffer from idiots, you know? I've never heard a true word spoken. I think Anne Hegarty said it, you know, you know, from The Chase. Yeah. Because she has Asperger's syndrome. I think she said something like, I don't suffer from Asperger's, I suffer from idiots. <laughs> so if you're listening, Anne, on the very unlikely thing you are, good quote. Good quote, yeah. I've also seen a quote um, that's been floating around the internet, apparently from Freud, but I don't know if it is directly from him. Something not, not uh, a weird one, is it? No, he says, <laughs> before you diagnose yourself with depression, make sure you're not surrounded by assholes. Good job, yeah. But again, I don't know if that is Freud, but still, a valid point, nevertheless. Yeah, yeah Freud, Freud made some decent, uh, decent analogies, he made some very strange ones, but yeah, Freud, mm. we wouldn't be here without you, so... No. God rest your soul. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think like what you're saying, Craig, I mean, I, I mean, do you think, in, in your opinion, do you think training programmas, I mean, obviously I know I can't really ask you if you're not qualified yet, but do you think training pro- programmas need to do more to support trainee therapists or um, even acknowledge mental health? I... Or even acknowledge mental health and therapists? I, I think, and I can speak from my own experience here, the response I got from college, mm-hmm. obviously won't disclose which one it is, mm-hmm. but the response I got from college actually was really positive Mm -hmm. around this my tutor said hmm that seems a bit strange that you're having to jump through that hoop Mm -hmm. leave it with me if you give consent obviously Mm -hmm. um i will write that letter Mm -hmm. and you have my full support Mm -hmm. because as a college we see some merit in you Mm -hmm. we want you out there we want you working with clients Mm -hmm. and at that point i think i saw a little bit of value come back into myself Mm -hmm because they obviously see something in me that I haven't yet found in myself. Mm -hmm. Because, of of course, I tried to get on that course first time round, and I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I was well enough either at that Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. But this time round, I think something changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you mean? Do you mean if you don't mind? Sorry to pry that. Do you mean like um, you were not well enough to go on, or do you mean just like you weren't ready? Or I think a bit of both. A bit of both. Oh, right, okay. A bit of both. Personally, maybe I wasn't well mm-hmm. enough because I was struggling with depression, <clears throat> but also I, like academically, wasn't ready mm-hmm. in terms of the skills. Mm-hmm. 
I wasn't ready to practice with real humans, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. That makes complete sense. Yeah. So that was my experience. I'm wondering, from your, your own sense, mm-hmm. have you found your own mental health to be... I know you've said that it's not... Um, a negative sense mm. but have you found in general that people expect you to be better in that way do you mean in terms of the client in terms of the no, no or well do you mean in terms of other therapists and, and in the community yeah oh yeah I mean I certainly um, I would say particularly when I was training it was almost taboo like I had, a, I had a very negative experience regarding mental health and, and being um, being a trainee therapist obviously this was a long time what was it a long time no it was a long time ago I started in like 2015 um, I think things probably have changed a little bit but I had to, which this is absolutely fine by the way I had, I had to go for an assessment to make sure I was able to do the course which I passed mm-hmm. with flying colours I realised that I was absolutely fine I just needed a bit of uh, extra support here and there just to just to like i.e. check in just to make sure I was okay but particularly for my colleagues they were very shocked I would say and quite negative towards the idea that I was a mentally ill therapist they were very kind of um you shouldn't be here kind of thing I always got that vibe from them and it was very uh, it was quite isolated you know because obviously at the time as well I was very young when I was training to be a therapist so yeah. these were older people and I didn't really know what how to combat that now obviously I would I would challenge that gen- yeah. gently but I challenge it you know and I think I think it can be a very isolated experience and I think that what's ironic about all that is you know I am at first and foremost I'm Callum you know I'm not mental illness yeah. and um you know, I've been actively well since 2011, you know, and that was four years after I'd had my last really bad episode. So that's kind of like, you know, I'm having to justify myself to people because obviously you, you're congruent in counts. That's one thing they teach us. I was like, okay, this is a safe space. I could be transparent about my illness. And then all of a sudden I've been almost thrown back in my face. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I was this way. So, And that, that well, strikes me as not empathic. Not at all. And that's, that's something I've uh, obviously, you know, We'll see how we go on with the article, but I've kind of said in my article that I'm writing at the moment about congruence and about how it can be used almost in a bullying sense. Gosh, are you still writing that? It's finished. It's, wow. it's, in, it's, in, it's in for uh, in for review. It's been in for review for about a year, so we need to get on for that one. Yeah. Um, it's been it's been finished for a long time. Mm. Um, I think um, there's a lot that needs to be said about how therapists react to one another who are mentally ill. I think there needs to be more of a supporting environment and. Um, one that's less judgmental. I know naturally mm. as humans we judge, we judge, but you know if somebody's on that course and they've got onto it, they've obviously got onto it for a reason. Do you know of what I mean? Course, yeah. You know, and I declared my illness when I did the course. I said, you know, I've got this illness, and they were fine to let me on. I passed the interview and then passed the um, assessment as well. So mm. two hoops I had to jump through, and yeah, I've got these colleagues here telling me that in a, in a sense that I shouldn't be there. So mm. you can imagine that what that does for your confidence as a therapist as well. Yeah. And then when I get into practicing with clients, I'm absolutely fine. So you're kind of almost like, why did I even listen to you? But we listen to our contemporaries, don't we? We do, we do. And it feels almost like your course, from what I'm hearing, your course was, for want of a better word, it was an anchor for you. Mm. It gave you some focus. Definitely. Throughout your mental health. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the time as well, this was pre-diagnosis at the time, I, I, I was... Depre- had depression, anxiety, and, and autism. But in 2020, in early 2020, I was diagnosed with bipolarity, bipolar type two. 
so goodness gracious if they found out that I had that I'd grief if I wouldn't even got on the course mm. you know so it, it it's it was a hard reality for me and it's still something that even to this day I am very open about my illness to to my colleagues if, if, if it comes up and it's relevant um, but I, don't, I would I'd be lying if I said there wasn't some trepidation in sharing it because you keep thinking like how are they going to react to that do you know what yeah. I mean um, which if anything which is ironic I understand if I was in a level of distress and been able to work with clients, but I've been I've been well for what we're twenty twenty two now. I've been a lot, I've been well for eleven years. You know, I don't take medication anymore. You know, completely functioning, self functioning, and you know, obviously I have my difficult moments like like anybody does. But if I was in that level of difficulty, I wouldn't I wouldn't practice. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I would imagine that there are some or a lot of therapists out there that also feel like they have to. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I think that's what's so sad is that there are probably therapists out there that are really struggling but can't reach out for support because they're anxious of what how their how their colleagues might respond, how their um, the the job they work for might respond, you know, the place of work, uh, or how even their governing sorry charity body might respond. Mm. Um, so or governing body, depending if it depends if it's charity. Not some people's governing bodies are private healthcare mm. as well. So yeah, I do find that really sad, and I was also thinking before we did this episode as well with the current cost of living crisis I imagine there are many counsellors with mental health right now yeah. who even if they were unable to work are probably forced to because they can't afford not to work mm. and how concerning is that? Yes, of course and I wonder what your response to that is or our response I think I know what my response would be Do you mean be. in terms of the financial in, thing? In terms of a podcast what, what are we saying to those therapists out there that might also be experiencing their mental health difficulties and wonder if they are in the right profession because of that. I mean, I would absolutely say you are in the right profession and uh, there's a difference between being in distress and being mentally ill. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mental illness is a normal part of everyday life. Being in distress, of course, you shouldn't be practising with that because it'll do damage to yourself and it'll do damage to your client. Yeah. Um, it's important to always assess with your supervisor or your line manager whether you've got you're able to work or not mm. and then make the decision but they absolutely should be in, in therapy because if anything it gives you great empathy towards people mm. with illnesses you know i certainly think with my own as i said before with my own mental illnesses certainly helped me connect more to my clients from an empathic point of view than if i didn't yeah you know and i i would second that mm. and i would also agree uh believe in your personal experiences mm. and believe that you can help others mm-hmm. yeah through your own experiences i agree i think it, i think it probably would be helpful if, if um kind of bodies and and um workplaces for, for counselors probably were more transparent saying like you know it's okay to have a mental illness and we encourage you to speak about it and you don't have to hide it like it's some sort of secret you know yeah you know i mean i mean for yourself craig i mean you know kind of beginning your journey now into counselling has it ever been a concern for you regarding your mental illness and your, your practice or is, is it is it something that you know you'll be okay with or <laughs> looking back at what the letter I received they said tell us how that affects your ability to practice mm-hmm. and my initial thought response to that was how can I I don't mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. I've not yet practiced mm-hmm. I've not yet been assessed for practice mm-hmm. So how does one address that? It's almost like I'm trying to I'm trying to tell you something that I don't have twenty two I don't I don't have insightful vision for I, don't, I can't see into the future, isn't it? Yeah, I imagine and it, just to echo your tutor's sentiments there, you wouldn't be on the course if you weren't thinking if you weren't capable. Do you, know what, do you know what I mean? And if anybody is listening, I would 
obviously use the ethical framework to make a decision regarding that. Should I become mentally unwell mm-hmm. while working with clients? Sure. Um, so yeah, I think I think Craig, like you say, I think we need to be more mindful. I think especially for trainees as well, because you know the, the other side of it as well is we're going to lose counsellors if they think if they think that mm. they're too ill to do a course when they're not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I think there is this preconception that, like I said to you before, that you have to be self-actualized and have no no insecurities and no low moods and no anxieties when you become a therapist and we're human and that's the whole, especially it's a humanistic approach as well I mean you could grieve you, you need to be transparent don't you absolutely 100% but also I think there is some research out there that does say there are uh, therapists out there who have experienced mental health difficulties after being a therapist mm-hmm. yeah and they've that's been developed through their work and it just goes to show how much empathy and how much unconditional positive regard can take on a toll on a person. Yeah. It, not in the sense of giving it, mm-hmm. but hearing those stories day but it, in, but it is, day out. It's giving it though, isn't it, Craig? Because as, as, as much as they are wonderful, the core conditions, they are also very exhausting. And I would be lying if I didn't say there probably was some long-term damage from that amount of that amount of emotional output for so many years you know particularly if you think about like my my age just use me as an example i qualified at 24 25 you know if i retire at 66 that's nearly four that's over 40 years of me using those core conditions which is an amazing thing but i think like any therapist i'm sure that i'm sure there is probably some long-term ramifications for that as there is with any any profession doesn't matter if you're a tradie or a doctor or or, or a therapist there will be implications won't they mm. you know i know my friend lucy who is on a different course entirely mm-hmm. she's done some research into therapists and mental health mm-hmm. issues and i really wish we had got her on the podcast right we, now we can for next episode. Uh, going forwards we should get her on the podcast mm-hmm, certainly depends whether she's available last time i checked i think she was in america okay so she was on holiday there and i'm sure she'll have come back by now but i will certainly dig out some research mm-hmm. from her yeah and we'll put that in the links for, for um, we'll put that in the links there you know for people as well so they can have a look at as well so I'm wondering now Callum can you share a little bit about your neurodiversity and how that has improved or impacted even on your practice yeah and also how it makes you a really unique therapist yeah I mean very nice of you to call me a very unique therapist. That's, that's lovely. I, I wouldn't actually say, ironically, I wouldn't say it does impact my therapy. Um, if anything, it's quite interesting. I think people have this is quite a stereotype around autism and particularly neurodiversity that we are, um, I mean, everybody's different, but we're not very emotive, um, which on the contrary, people usually who have it are quite emotionally in tuned mm-hmm. and are very quite quick to be sensitive around things like um, sensitivity and um, sensory issues and things like that. So, for me, it's quite a natural thing to, to feel empathy and feel things for other people. Um, the only time it can be a little bit difficult for myself, and this has been a case throughout my life, is I have to be quite sure of what the client is conveying just because obviously I experience emotions a little bit different to other people because of neurodiversity. So I might just occasionally clarify with the client and go, just so I'm understanding you here, you know, is this what you're, is this is what you're saying? Do you know what I mean? Which is very rare, but every now and then I might just check in and see, you know, is that where we're at just so I'm understanding because um, one thing with autism it can not for everybody but for myself it can um, 
I can sometimes misread things a little bit. Okay. So, can, can you give an example of where that might have happened? Uh, I can't. I can't give a specific example, but I, I can give a hypothetical one. So, say somebody. Generally. Yeah, generally. So, say somebody's speaking about grief and despair. I just have to kind of clarify that they're speaking about a specific grief, and it's not that they're feeling currently um, in despair at this moment. And I'd have to get my tenses right, and that they were okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because otherwise, I might miss it and think that they're they're an active risk right now mm. so i have to sometimes clarify how they mean what tenses and, and where they're going with it right now of course do you know what i mean and in any case it is always good to clarify sure. with our clients sure. isn't it as uh, sue cully and tim bond said <laughs> clarifying <laughs> skills are essential or as i used to call them bully and con bully and con <laughs> yes the, the <laughs> remix album yeah I've always found it very helpful, similar to the bipolarity. Mm. It's never been a hindrance as opposed to actually a benefit. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's always given yeah. me more of an insight. I think one of the problems generally is, is the stereotypes in society is they see people who are autistic as kind of unable to convey emotion or quite unfeeling. And then obviously people with bipolarity, they often see them because of portrayals in the media as, as very erratic and, and non-focused, which both are complete nonsense. The spectrum is so huge and... You know, I'm sure there are people with with, not, with um, autism and bipolarity who would struggle to be therapists. That's completely mm. understandable, but that's not the case for everybody. Do you know yeah, what I mean? And that's, that's cool. I think that's the key thing. My message I put out there is no two are the same, and you shouldn't ever have to hide your disability or your neurodiversity. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's um, because that's where problems might arise. You know? And I'm wondering if you are happy to carry on this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we start to make that change within? the social world how can we change those perspectives i think i think for the starters craig is it goes back to the very top and it's kind of like putting that within the within within an ethical framework or to be plural ethical frameworks acknowledging that for, for therapists that they exist you know that in neurodiversity and mental health um, putting guidelines in there for that for people so it's clear um, and then going then it goes to the next point to courses support for counsellors who are neurodivergent support with counsellors who've got active mental health problems you know and then you could even go even further and say like you know financial support for people who are in mental distress as well who are unable to work you know think things like that and i think that that's the way people will be able to be more open about it and not feel like they're i think that was my thing just using an example is i always felt like i was being witch hunted you know as soon as somebody found out what i was the pickaxes and then the, and the witch and the, hunted that yeah. is a really powerful word you know it was almost like he needs to go. He needs, you know, he's get rid of him. You know, he's a he's that bad apple that that got that slipped through the cracks, and it's absolute nonsense. You know, I've never, in all my years of being a therapist, now I've never had one complaint. I've never had anything that ever go bad. It's always been a really positive, at least on my part, and I'm, I'm judging off my clients' part as well because I've never heard anything. Um, really good experience. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I'm just in picturing in my head that image of a typical bad apple, mm-hmm. right? And I'm seeing a small part of that apple, a really tiny part, mm-hmm. is bad. Mm-hmm. And they just look at that. Mm-hmm. But I'm also thinking, what if we readjusted our frame of reference mm-hmm. and looked at the other side of the apple? Mm-hmm. That's good, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. And maybe it's not the maybe it's not the neurodiversity slash mental health that's the bad part of the apple. Maybe that's the good side of the apple, just to flip that even more. Perhaps the bad thing is the fruit bowl. Absolutely. And the fruit bowl or the tree that it, the tree, like she's, I think the tree maybe it's being grown on. So the train, mm. the tree, the tree it's being trained on to grow. Yeah. Maybe it's not got all the right supplements. Mm. You know. And that could be a, a, a metaphor for society in general. Yes, it could. It? it could. And that's and that's the thing is counselling is a very 
tremendous forefront in, you know in sociology but it's also quite backward in many ways you know we are still you know in many ways still quite behind you know yeah. you know i think we've even we've been you've discussed it before you know there's not enough male therapists just to use an example there's not enough counselors with disabilities you know yeah and it's because of attitudes like this that there these problems are coming from you know uh just to draw on working class therapists sorry just to, that's another oh, yeah. thing, you know, yeah. thing because of the financial problems that counseling that counseling training naturally brings up yeah you know and yes there are a, a, more, a more emergence of lgbtq therapists mm-hmm. but plus star asterisks yes yeah all of that but it took years for that you did yeah so absolutely you know it's great to see more um, ethnicity in counselling as well but again we're still you know that's still growing you know mm. and, need, and uh, we need counsellors from all walks of life from all over the world different races genders sexualities everything because mm. counselling is an environment for everyone yes you know? and that's that's the key thing I think people forget and that includes Hugely. people with neurodiversity and mental health and of course my friend physical disability as well of course and just just something I saw on Twitter this morning mm-hmm. just to liken it I saw a tweet this morning that said I really fear that the counselling profession is 106 years behind nursing mm-hmm. because of course at the moment nurses are going on strike mm-hmm. rightly so for the good of their patients and for the good of themselves mm-hmm. And that's never been done in 106 years. I agree. I think, Craig, bluntly, and as I've just said, counselling is an amazing profession. I'm honoured to be a therapist. Um, but it is behind. It's far too behind. And um, I think that's a lot of us sitting on the fence as well. I mm-hmm. think a lot of therapists sit on the fence and kind of won't tackle these issues. And I'm not saying that that makes me and you altruistic and wonderful, but at least we're putting ourselves out there. You know, and at least we're, we're saying these things. I think far too many people for so long, because obviously, as we know, particularly in the UK, and I assume it's the same in other in other countries as well, um, it's always been middle-class white people that, that, have, take, that have done counselling. Yeah, and as... By the way, and that just for the record, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but we need diversity. We do, we do. Because without it, mm-hmm. we will fail to exist. Exactly. And I think uh, Gillian Proctor, for mm-hmm. example, just to bring Gillian in, moment she famously said that politics does belong yeah. in the council it does room. it absolutely does and nobody does. can tell nobody can tell me different you know and because, I, I agree with that so what do you say that king is like right now this whole cost of living crisis so somebody comes in with you now problems uh, because there's cost of living crisis what we don't speak about that mm. you know what i mean come on you know what i mean we're all informed by it you know covid was politics you know so we don't mention the pandemic in counseling you know like you know it's, it's that kind of common sense isn't it you know we are all informed by our environment and politics make up so much of our environment and if i'm honest craig it's something i'm fed up with mm. you know i'm fed up with therapists not doing it you know yeah we aren't as you know, one of my thing criticisms of particularly the person-centered approach, um, to, as an example, is you know the idea that we just allow you know basically this reflecting mirror, which is brilliant in terms of like you know it's great responses to therapists to clients and helps see where they're at. But at the same time, how dare we not be ourselves? You know, I will always be a socialist. So yeah. if I'm not a socialist in that room, I'm not Callum, and I'm not being congruent. I'm not being my transparent, authentic self. You know. That feels really powerful, mm. what you just said. Mm. Authenticity. It really is the responsibility of the therapist yeah. to try and be as authentic as possible. And for courses to allow 
the counselor to develop that way as well. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if I go into that counselor room, just use myself, for example, and obviously, again, I'm not saying I wouldn't say this to my clients, but again, I'm talking from an internal perspective. If I start going to myself, right, Callum, for this next hour, you're not neurodivergent and you're not mentally ill. How incongruent. <laughs> you know. Very much so. You know, not just to the client, but to myself. You know, I'm yeah. a fraud. You know, it's part of my identity. Of course. I mean, there are, of course, parts of ourselves that we don't feel comfortable sharing yeah, with people. And that's fine. Yeah. But I think, really, we have to look at those parts and wonder, okay, we might not directly share them, mm-hmm. but within ourselves, we have to try and acknowledge them, mm-hmm. as hard as that may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I completely agree with you. I think it's it's important for ourselves and it's important for the work that, that we will then do with our colleagues and clients. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think um, it's so important. I think that's the, the more important thing is, and I've talked to myself here, and I imagine you saying this, I imagine there's many therapists and training therapists out there as well, is that you should never be afraid to share these things with your supervisor or your colleagues. That's not right that somebody sat out there as a therapist going, I'm really struggling right now, but I can't say anything because I'm scared I'm going to be struck off. Mm. You know what I mean? How unfair. Or I'm scared of the repercussions. Yeah. And that's not right, is yeah. it? You know, for a physical illness, that would never be, that would never be the case, would it? No. And that, in a sense, is very draconian. Yeah. It is. You know, but that's my sentiments on it, Craig. I don't know if you had anything more to add before N- we... Not necessarily. No. no. Just that... I would happily explore in a separate episode uh, neurodiversity in therapy. Certainly, yeah, and that would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think we've kind of covered that a little bit in this as well, so hopefully people who, if there are any therapists out there who are neurodivergent, which I know there are because there's a bunch on my LinkedIn, um, <laughs> get something from this, I, I, I hope you do. And uh, don't be too hard on us, by the way, guys. You know, I know this is quite a controversial episode, but we also still have feelings, so please don't come up with, yeah. with the pitchforks. <laughs> but also, if you if you have enjoyed this and you want to be part of another future episode, particularly on neurodiversity, mm-hmm. if you feel like you want to add your voice to the mix, mm-hmm. reach out. Mm-hmm. We we welcome guests. Mm-hmm. We do. We certainly do. And I'm teasing guys, but I think I think more than anything is you know do reach out if this episode has touched you, but also be aware that again we have put our opinions out there, but we're all both still human, and uh, you know these things. They do affect us. We're therapists, but ultimately we're humans first. Fabulous. I love that episode. I think it was really good, and I'm looking forward to hearing it. So thank you so much, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.